the hardest part of quarantine was being alone in our houses, but that provided this freedom to not be perceived. Mm. And that was a word that came up a lot. That's Kylie Verbowski, a senior staff editor who co-wrote a feature article for the upcoming sex and gender issue of The Martlet. And I think a lot of people felt that it afforded them a big freedom to really experiment with their gender expression. A yearly special edition of the paper focusing on sex, sexuality, and gender identity. Hey, I'm Laura Smith, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Martlet Pod. This podcast is produced here in the studios of CFUV, on the traditional territory of the Lekwungen and Wasainich people in Victoria, BC. Also on this episode... I'm just honestly feeling so grateful for all the time and energy, literally thousands of students and, and faculty members over the past eight years. UVic has divested $80 million of their working capital fund, meaning that the fund no longer has any fossil fuel investments. That the chair one that currently exists is the first of its kind in the world. Uh, you may not be aware that there is a second now at the University of Buenos Aires in Argentina. Uh, and uh, so that's it for chairs in transgender studies. And there are no departments anywhere in the world. The university has renewed its chair in transgender studies, which when founded in 2016 was the first of its kind. And that's one way that you can, you know, be an, an ally by showing up. It's as simple as that. And not just even showing up in February, but showing up every single um, month when you can. And the Student of Color Collective is holding events throughout February to celebrate Black History Month. My name is Kylie Verbowski. I'm um, I'm a senior editor at the Marlet, new this year. I recently co-wrote the feature for the Sex and Gender Issue with Christopher Driscoll. And um, in the past, yeah, mostly my role is a, as an editor, but I've written some pieces on the divest movement and um, yeah, drug overdose in Victoria. Awesome, thanks. So yeah, today we are talking about the piece you just mentioned um, for the upcoming sex and gender issue. So just to start off, maybe you could give like a really brief overview of what your article is all about. Mm-hmm. So previous, uh, well, earlier in this pandemic, um, I noticed, started to notice on social media that particularly among my friends that already identify as queer, there was some sort of very small phenomenon of people taking this period of self-isolation and relative quietness to really reevaluate or reimagine gender and particularly their own gender identity or their own gender expression, um, but also the place of the gender binary in our world, why and how it could be imagined differently. So I wanted to follow up on that idea and maybe interview some people. So that's exactly what Chris and I did. And we got to chat with six people in the community that identified in a variety of ways before the pandemic and some of who identified differently 
um, at the point that we interviewed them this year, 2021. (laughs) Yeah, so this was something you'd been thinking about for a while. And then did you like come to Chris, your co-editor, and be like, oh, I'm looking for someone else to work on this uh, with me? Or is it kind of just like throw it into the air, see what happens? Yeah, I actually pitched this at a story meeting and made it very clear that I didn't want to take it on (laughs) Um, because I had a lot on my plate and I didn't think it would be that big of a story. And then I was working on a different story um, for Not the Martlet and I came across this source. We met and chatted on the phone and it turned out um, that he had transitioned during the pandemic. And this was a 71 year old man who lived in Souk. And we were chatting about something very different, but I asked him if I could approach him later for this um, this upcoming article in the sex and gender issue. But we had said such a lovely conversation on the phone, I kind of didn't want to hand over the interviewing opportunity. So then I approached Chris and I told him about this person that I had just met and I asked if he would be interested in co-writing and he said yes. So <laughs> that's how that that two-hander came about. (laughs) That's awesome. And yeah, so you said that you interviewed um, a handful of people. Were there some things that like really stood out for the interviews? Like any like similar things between interviewees or just like really interesting things that stood out? Yeah, I think there were a few contributing factors that came up a lot in people's interviews. And one of those was this element of self-isolation that is was a lot of people mentioned that they've they've been alone and they felt lonely mm-hmm. but they've never been in that long of of a period of absolute isolation and with the the kind of benefit and the the hardest part of quarantine was being alone in our houses but that provided this freedom to not be perceived Mm. And that was a word that came up a lot of, yeah, perceived or not being perceived. And I think a lot of people felt that it afforded them a big freedom to really experiment with their gender expression Mm -hmm. or to just think about, yeah, one of our interviewees who, who considered themselves gender yeah, gender questioning before this period, who now identifies as genderqueer, said this really beautiful thing about it, it affords this, them this time to like figure out who really is me. Mm-hmm. When there's nobody else around and you're not a reflection of anyone else or like a part of anyone else, just like who is that singular me? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we also noticed, well, another aspect of that self-isolation, well, I guess I talked about this, but gender expression. So the ability to like dress however people wanted, Mm -hmm. but for two of our interviewees, that also meant the ability or the the chance to grow out their facial hair, which they had never done before. Um, And these were both people that were assigned female at birth that had the capacity at different points in their adult lives to start beginning, like to begin to grow facial hair. But because of different social norms and gender expectations, they had never 
they they had always just shaved it right away they never had the chance to grow out and see what would really be there if it would just be like a few straggly hairs or I think in both of their cases it it turned out to be a full beard (laughs) and they yeah they of course had different experiences and different reactions to that but this period where they could they felt like they finally could just experiment and just see what their body looks like right that's so yeah (laughs) yeah and then one other factor that we kind of touched on in the article uh well yeah a few um but the the influence of the internet like like i said this idea kind of came about because i was seeing people posting about this on social media but more than that i was seeing memes circulating (laughs) about gender identity and reevaluating gender identity during the pandemic Hmm. and for me that meant that this was a larger phenomenon like this was something that more more than just the people in my direct social circles were uh were like feeling or associating with right um and when you're interviewing people like we talked about this a little bit before we started the podcast here about how a lot of the features at the martlet um are much more news focused in the sense of like being a little bit more like a by the numbers kind of article, whereas this um, is a lot more focused on people's personal lives. How do you go about kind of interviewing for something that is a little bit more personal and talking about people's lives opposed to maybe a broader news story? Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely a lot of the features that the Martlet produces are fit into the news category. This one fit into the lifestyle category, but I think what the Martlet strives for and what newspapers are all about is the truth. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, I think you can put, there's slightly different parameters for truth in, in the news section and truth in the lifestyle section. But I think what we were aiming to display was, was the truth of these very personal stories that don't end up in mainstream media most of the time um and that can be considered very small and personal and i don't know i guess largely unimportant mm-hmm. but i think we were hoping to to interview and share these truths and hopefully inspire um and let other people who may have had similar ideas or similar thoughts during this time just to let them know that they weren't alone and they're not alone and that there's time there's so much time to figure out who we may be yeah oh absolutely and kind of going off that a little bit I know you um started doing a little bit of freelancing and writing and such um have you found there's much space out there to do writing on like topics around sex and gender or is it still very much a topic that doesn't exist as much in the mainstream Hmm. Well, I think what I'm starting or what I'm seeing in my media consumption is this divide between um, like smaller indie outlets that can be very queer oriented, Mm -hmm. queer owned, queer focused, um, that do really prioritize stories like these um, and make a point of speaking to marginalized peoples about personal experiences and make very compelling arguments for why those stories are actually demonstrative of like larger social changes that are happening. 
Um, and I applaud them and I'm like so happy to be a reader. But I think that no, these stories aren't typically picked up by like traditional media outlets. Mm -hmm. So yeah, these stories are written, but are they going to reach audiences that aren't queer or aren't actively seeking out those stories? I don't know. And queer people aren't people necessarily people that know that they're queer yet, you know, like, and I hope that those stories can reach non-binary folk that don't know that they're non-binary yet, you know? Yeah. And I think um, something I noticed when I was uh, going through some of the interviews you did, uh, it was really interesting, like, just the range of people that you interviewed, like, in terms of the intersectionality of it all, because you do have someone, like you said, that's much older. Um, and there's an interviewee that talks about race. And I'm sure that, yeah, the intersectionality must play a very big part into the story as well. Mm-hmm. Chris and I definitely wanted to highlight or include as many diverse voices as possible. Um, yeah, so what we did manage who we did manage to interview was somebody that was 71 years old and really, um, yeah, was so happy to come to this place and really, really deeply attributed COVID to their coming out, Mm. um, which was so special and so inspiring. (laughs) Um, But yeah, there's many different intersections in personal identity and gender is one of them. Race is one of them. Your age is one of them like your sexual orientation is another your sex is another because we know those things are all separate Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah I felt I felt really lucky that so many people reached out to us that were willing to share their stories and yeah we definitely we wanted to note that we for sure did have not exhausted the diversity of voices within the gender non-conforming or trans or non-binary community. And we haven't even exhausted the voices that are maybe at UVic or are UVic alumni. Um, but we hope that people can still uh, identify with these stories in, in their own way. I also wanted to, to note that I was very, very careful writing these stories. Chris and I were both very careful as cisgendered people um, that we were communicating these stories through the interviewee's words, um, mostly through their phrases and not editorializing these stories and really being aware of our own biases and our own, yeah, areas of privilege. Mm And I'm not sure how much you can answer to this, but do you know, like, in terms of, like, the other articles that are going into this issue, like, it's a pretty wide range of different articles going into the sex and gender issue, hey? Mm-hmm. Because as an editor, I've already read a lot of them. Right. But, yeah, I'm I'm happy. I'm really happy with the diversity that we have in this issue and that we... I think the Marlet always does in the sex and gender issue. Um, some things that I'm looking forward to, we have um, a culture piece that's reviewing, yeah, a review of the new restaurant downtown, Friends of Dorothy, the new um, queer space there. Right. We have 
an article about access to contraception. We have an article about asexuality and how the A is sometimes hidden or undermined in in the LGBTQIA acronym. And yeah, we have a news news issue or we have a news article about the UVic chair in transgender studies, which is so exciting because that chair was just recently renewed for another five years. And UVic has the largest collection of transgender materials, I believe, in the world. Oh wow. Yeah. And they're really hoping to to push for a transgender studies program at UVic, like to either create a minor or a major, which would also be the first of its kind in the entire world. Wow, that's, I had no idea. That's incredible. I know. So there is some really exciting scholarship going on at UVic, which is also, they also organize like community events for like trans, non-binary, two-spirit people at UVic and in the community. So yeah, yeah, there's so much exciting scholarship that I wanted to, I think this edition also does a good job of like covering the social parts and, and the joyful parts of being queer mm-hmm. and of being trans. Is there anything that you think we've missed today um, that you really want to talk on? I hope that I made it clear that going into this article, we did not make any assumptions about the implicit relationship between the pandemic or isolation or any of its other features Mm -hmm. and, and gender. And we didn't assume that people had only questioned their gender or their identity during this time. Um, yeah, we, we did not approach this trying to invalidate people that have found that over other times Mm -hmm. or like truly feel as though their gender is fluid throughout all time. Yeah. Just wanted, just wanted to make that clear that it was just kind of, um, Ooh, there's this good metaphor in writing, but I can't remember what it is. <laughs> a real like slice of life in a slice of life cake. <laughs> <laughs> like this is a very specific topic in a very specific moment. I think these are two really interesting sociological phenomenon that just like, yeah, just occurred at the same time. And we were hoping to pinpoint and to explore some of those stories within that. But of course, there are so, so many more stories that we didn't get to explore in this. Yeah, it must have been interesting writing this because it feels like it must have been much looser, uh, for lack of a better word, than like other stories you've written where you're like, okay, I'm going to interview this person and they're probably going to say this and this is like how the story's going to shape up. So I'm sure that mm-hmm. made it a very different writing experience. Yeah, yeah. Particularly with people who I didn't know ahead of time. Like scheduling an interview, I had no idea what we were, where the conversation was going to take us, which is why Chris and I did standardize a list of questions that right. we asked each of our interviewees to like kind of keep it on topic or to hopefully get similar questions answered. Um, but yeah, this was, yeah, some of my interviews were very long <laughs> and I felt very grateful for that, but it was, it was hard to cut it all down 
to pieces that could fit together and to to create a cohesive story. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, that's awesome that, yeah, you got that good group of interviewees and that they're really excited and willing to share their stories. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And again, my beautiful, intelligent, articulate, poetic friends coming forward with their truth. Yeah, a big thank you again to everyone that interviewed for this piece. We really appreciate that. I'm so happy to get the chance to share your stories. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on here and talking about all this stuff. It's great. I'm really excited to read the issue. I've like got to creep through some of the articles so far, but I'm really excited to read it all when it's all finished. So Me too. I'm excited to see it all come together and with C's um, graphic designs. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be awesome. So yeah, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Laura. I'll be back shortly to recap some local news. UVic's Chair in Transgender Studies, one of only two research chairs in the world to focus on topics of interest to trans, non-binary, two-spirited, and other gender-diverse people, has been renewed for five more years. Since it was founded in 2016, founding chair Erin Dever has worked on compiling the largest collection of trans-related materials in the world, and has hosted the biannual Moving Trans History Forward Conference, which will happen once again, March 11th to 14th. I'd love to see an actual uh, department of transgender studies. Uh, So the chair of transgender studies is a research chair and a community engagement chair. It is not a chair of a department. So there's no department that gives academic degrees undergraduate or graduate in transgender studies. And so for a long-term vision, I would love to see uh, a department of transgender studies that can give uh, degrees. Another initiative has been the Transgender Archives Discovery Tool, a way to search the extensive database of publications. Recently, we have a large enough database that we've now created the Discovery Tool, which is a way for people to search this very large database of um, newsletter articles and announcements of events and to search for events, places, people, subject matter, uh, publications by date. Uh, So there's a number of different ways you can search. On February 2nd, the University of Victoria announced that it is divesting from its working capital fund. That means that this fund no longer has any investments in fossil fuels. Divest UVic, a group that's been lobbying the university for eight years, is thrilled at this move. So this is truly a a historic moment for the campaign and for the whole university. This is Emily Lowen, the group's lead organizer and UVSS director of campaigns and community relations. And I think what this win tells us is that we have a real opportunity to push for a bold climate justice agenda on campus. 
UVIC has previously shifted investments towards companies that emit less carbon via the Responsible Investment Policy. However, the university felt that investing in a fossil fuel-free fund mitigates the investment risk associated with climate change. However, the UVic Foundation, a separate fund not under the control of UVic's Board of Governors, still has fossil fuel investments. Divest UVic now plans to focus their energies on lobbying for full divestment. And in terms of our campaign, um, Divest UVic will continue advocating for full divestment across all of the university's endowments, specifically lobbying the foundation to remove their investment from the fossil fuel industry. UVic Student of Color Collective, an advocacy group with aims to promote and support cultural diversity on campus, will be holding four events to educate and celebrate Black identity and history for Black History Month this February. So SOC is um, an advocacy group. We work to represent, support, and just just general support for the BIPOC community, Black Indigenous persons of color. That's Ruth Nicolia the current coordinator of the SOCC. And we prioritize uh, UVic students, but we um, are kind of branching out and supporting folks in the BIPOC community in greater Victoria area as well. While COVID has made this planning process a bit more difficult, the SOCC didn't want to let the pandemic stop the celebrations. Two events have already happened, but if you want to check out the other two, On February 19th, there'll be a screening of the film Dance Like Everybody's Watching, which follows three Black dancers all based in Victoria. The film will be followed by a workshop with director Simone Blaise. Well, the film The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind will be screened on February 25th. The film is based on the true story of a teenage boy from Malawi who is kicked out of school due to financial reasons, but ends up designing and building a windmill for his small community. So it's important to show up and not just Black folks showing up, but every single person, no matter your race, to show up and show support, um, especially in the current climate with, you know, the resurgence of Black Lives Matter and, you know, talking about racism and really critically having, um, analyzing these, these aspects of our, of our lives. Well, that's it for this week. To check out the sex and gender issue of the Martlet, make sure to head to www.martlet.ca or pick up a copy from around town. If you're in or near downtown, you can find our boxes at the intersection of Michigan and Government, Ford and Blanchard, and Niagara and Menzies. The Martlet Pod is recorded at CFUV. Check them out at cfuv.ca. Thanks for listening. I'm Laura Smith.